Hello, this is Two Worlds, One Me, the podcast in which I, Slavenka Vukovic Brian, talk to interesting people from all over the world who have moved away from the country of their birth to settle and live in another country. Every episode, I ask guests about the worlds that make up their lives, and we have lots of interesting conversations. Children actually find differences, even if there isn't one. So if I wasn't foreign, it would be perhaps the color of your hair or because you were fat or because you were stupid or something else. People will find differences. This is one of the other things that I've learned. Today, my special guest is Saeed Dai. Saeed is Persian by birth. He was born in Tehran and came to England at the age of six. I hope you enjoy listening. On with the show. Saeed trained at the Royal Academy of Arts in London and works as a professional artist. He lives and works in Bath with his wonderful wife and artist, Charlotte Sorapior. Saeed initially studied sciences in order to enter medicine, but ultimately decided to take a different road and devote his life to pursuing art. Welcome to my podcast, Saeed. Well, thank you. It's uh, lovely to be here. Thank you. Saeed, let's talk about your two <coughs> worlds. What are your two worlds? Well, I've been exposed to two different cultures. I've experienced two different educations. You have a, a different religious upbringing in the sense that you've been exposed to different things. And the beauty, I think, because of the dislocation, it's allowed you to be in it, but not of it. By that, I mean is that it gives you perspective. So you've mm -hmm. absorbed it, and at the same time, you're not completely incapacitated or overwhelmed by it, and you're able to actually look at it from a distance and incorporate mm -hmm. the others. So mm -hmm. uh, in that sense, I think it's been an advantage. Yes, uh, yes, yes, I can see that. Could you just take me back to your childhood? What was it like? What well, you can remember? <clears throat> my parents divorced when I was around six and for whatever reason, whether it was the, the culture at the time, my father had custody and he was unable to really look after us and we were placed with my grandmother mm -hmm. and she was... Was that in Tehran? In Tehran, Sorry, in Tehran. Uh -huh. and uh, there were intimations of things breaking down in terms of the onset of this revolution and I think my father uh, thought it best that perhaps it would be best to get us out, not just mm -hmm. for a better life, but better education and so on. And mm -hmm. uh, I had a, a sister two years younger than me. And mm -hmm. all in all, we were put on a plane unaccompanied to England. Right. And right. my sister was four and I was six. That's and my aunt, my father's sister, happened to be training in a London hospital, training to be a nurse. And she was instrumental in finding a place that would take children so young uh, because mm -hmm. we weren't able to be put into a proper boarding school. We were just mm -hmm. too young. 
So I jokingly often say I'm actually a convent-educated girl. We were put into a convent, <laughs> and they take boys up to the age of about eight. So right. I was there. We were both there for about a year, two years. And then we were put into proper boarding school, which was like a, quite a, a shockingly different culture. So, right. But on arriving, unfortunately, we were not prepared for it. We weren't right. told what was happening. So my early memories are not happy ones. And I think parents you... didn't actually prepare us as to what was going to happen. And we just basically were put on a plane uh, and mm -hmm, ended up mm -hmm. here and put into mm -hmm. this institution. So in a right. sense, I think just a little bit more of a preparation. So that was quite a shock. And remember, we didn't speak English. Uh, yes, that was going to be my next question. <laughs> exactly. What was your language? Well, it at that was Farsi, time? so it was Persian. Yes, yes, um, yes. So you were traveling. Can you could just give me that image of you sitting on that plane? What was going through your mind at the um, time? Could you tell me what year that was? Uh, to be honest, I, I couldn't offhand because it would have been. Approx. Mm -hmm. It would have been in the 70s, I suppose. Okay, so, so it was uh, in the uh, 70s. Okay. Um, and uh, what I did remember being significant is that all of the family attended seeing us at the airport, and that seemed rather an ominous, and my grandmother weeping. But, right. But there was right. otherwise, there was no other preparation. We were just literally put on the plane. And uh, what, Did you know you were leaving not to return? No, we didn't. We didn't. What what did you know? Very little, way? actually. So very little, thinking back. Where did you think you were going? As far as I remember, it was a bit like being plunged into cold water. There was mm -hmm. no preparation. There's no intermediary. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it took several months to even acclimatize. So, yes. And one of the rules is that with these institutions, the only person that we were able to see was my aunt, just occasionally. She mm -hmm. just sort of kept an eye on us. But otherwise, I didn't see my parents for probably maybe once a year. My father, perhaps, he would come over attending perhaps conferences in Europe and drop off for about a day in mm -hmm. England. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you just had to acclimatize. And children are, are amazingly resilient and unquestioning and mm -hmm. surprisingly moral looking back. Mm -hmm. I've always uh, been amazed in a sense, but you just had to basically survive. Yeah. There was no other way. So we just had to acclimatize. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. But <clears throat> before the age of six, you were in Tehran playing with your friends and how, how how was school then and what was life there um, like? I remember having to move school several times. So like I said, even then, I think it was quite an unsettled background. I don't really, I, uh, I don't want to turn this into too much of a, a, <laughs> a, a sad situation, but because all in all, I think, like I said, I've been very lucky. But I do not really have many happy, cohesive, secure memories of family life. So mm -hmm. there was, there was mm -hmm. always, and I think the in, uh, eventual war 
just sort of brought that in a sense and made it even more concrete. And had we been there, I think at the height of the war, they were taking children into the army because they were from about the ages of about 10. So Mm -hmm. had I stayed later, I think it would have been unlikely that I would be speaking to you now. Absolutely, uh, yes, uh, yes, definitely. You were just very lucky, very uh, lucky that to have escaped that. So the settling in was actually quite hard for you uh, because those first years in the in the convent. I um, think learning a new language, acclimatizing with a completely different uh, environment and life, Mm -hmm. having never seen a nun before, they're quite frightening figures in. in, And they're not altogether benign people. And I only remember one particular nun being actually very kind and compassionate and uh, caring. They're a strange Mm -hmm. breed, nuns, in the sense that they still have a sort of a a stunted development in terms of from girlhood into womanhood. And you can still see Uh the the girl, in a sense, in them, which hasn't, Uh through a lack of exposure to the world, been developed. So it's a a strange combination of young and old, naive and unworldly, and and yet sort of suffering at the same time. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So it was quite hard to get on with them uh, during that time. I think we just survived, and I think that's what I mean. Mm. Children are amazingly resilient, Mm -hmm. surprisingly. And you get used to what you have. And, I mean, most of my life I've had to sort of let go uh, of things. Mm, mm. So you have a very stoic philosophy of life. Uh, so you expect mm. very little. And as a result, mm. whatever you get is is, is a bonus. It's so, beautiful. I like that. Yes. So, so in that sense, it makes you very self-contained. Yes. And you, you don't need much to be happy. Mm. Mm. Could you tell me a little bit more about your language acquisition? How did that work? How did you start learning? How how did you end up studying in English and everything? Well, I think the younger you are, I think the quicker and more malleable and pliable mind is. So I think I picked up just through sheer survival to be able to just communicate and stand up to learn mm-hmm. English. But I do remember actually having an accent and having difficulty oh, in pronouncing some English boys' names. Uh-huh, Great difficulty. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. I still remember a time when I was aware that I did have an accent. At uh, what stage in life was that? Uh, you... Probably between six and ten. Oh, right. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to know, but I, I think I have no accent now. But Absolutely, no, no accent. But interesting, how did the fact that you thought you had the accent affect you? Only in the sense that it, it drew out your difference even more because you stood out anyway. And <laughs> children are, as a whole, quite cruel you know, in spite of all the other wonderful qualities. So I think you wanted to eliminate the differences as much as you could. And Mm -hmm. I think having an accent looking differently wasn't helpful. And this became much, much more obvious when I actually entered proper 
English boarding school, public school, mm -hmm. whereby mm -hmm. there is a much, much greater hierarchy of levels of society mm. in there, and you're thrust in there mm. as an alien, really. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so how was life in a boarding school? How was that? Well, I think, if I may put it, it's a, it's a system at that time that is based on physical and psychological violence. And oh, I gosh. endured it for about 10 years. And, mm -hmm. But really, I think the majority of those early years was really trying to minimize and avoid violence. <laughs> And in, in English public schools, it's very much part of the, the structure because it's, it's a hermetically sealed society. It's, it's sealed right. from the outside. And mm -hmm. I think culture, society has changed and there's much, much more transparency. But at that mm -hmm. time... It's, that was 80s? Would that be 80s? No, much earlier. Much earlier. Earlier, 70s. 70s. Okay. I mean, I went right. to the academy in the 80s. So, oh, right, okay. So... There's a lot of sort of not just psychological violence, but physical mm -hmm. violence as well. What would you be punished for? It's not just a punishment. It's actually it's a, a climate of violence. It's a bit like mm -hmm. if uh, you have any experience with people with being in the army. It's mm -hmm. an enclosed mm -hmm. society where right. all men are put together or maybe all mm -hmm. girls put together. You'll, yeah. you'll find exhibiting behavior that is magnified. But do, do you, uh -huh. so do you think this mm. might have been more cruel to you because you were an outsider or was it because the system was like that? Both. I think Both. it, like I said, children actually find differences even if there isn't one. So if I wasn't foreign, it would be perhaps the color of your hair or because you were fat or because you were stupid or something else people will find differences this is one of the other things that i've learned is because i've had a taste of different cultures different backgrounds different religions different mm -hmm. educational system you actually are able to to see things in perspective because you're not governed by any of them so i mm -hmm. have a horror of any kind of uh, flag waving any kind uh -huh. of sort uh -huh. of overt nationalism any yes. kind of sort of sectarian club. You don't see mm. people and you mm -hmm. don't care what background or religion. You basically see people relative to the qualities of their character. And I mm -hmm. think as an mm -hmm. artist, it's perhaps even more important that you have to be open. And that's mm -hmm. why it's such mm -hmm. a difficult business because whilst you have a lot more beauty in your life as a consequence because you're open to many more things, mm -hmm. At the same time, it makes you very vulnerable. Tell me, you mentioned how you went back to Iran at the age of 13. Is that right? I think the last time was around that period. By that time, did things change or what was it like visiting? It was unrecognizable. And basically, I saw the, the few people or family that hadn't begun to be scattered. This mm -hmm. diaspora that started with the revolution, either people were killed or they fled. They mm -hmm. were killing people at every level. And I was very fortunate, in a sense, to have been away from that. Mm -hmm. My mother was training to be a doctor when, mm -hmm. you know, around the time of the divorce. And mm -hmm. she ended up running one of the main hospitals in Iran. And mm -hmm. at the height of the war, she was having to treat children from about the age of about 10, uh -huh. who were being sent 
out into minefields to to set mines off. So mm-hmm. when I saw my mother within a few years, I was so shocked at how mm-hmm. she had changed. She was mm-hmm. once a very beautiful woman. Uh, she was always the center of attention. Mm-hmm. And to see what the ravages of the suffering that she had witnessed and a lot of her colleagues a lot of doctors were executed any kind Mm -hmm. of intellectual opposition to these regimes they were either they fled or i mean can you imagine a culture Mm -hmm. where they kill doctors Gosh, Uh, so my mother ended up having to run a clinic underground so all these things Mm -hmm. i don't think parents set out to harm their children Mm. because whilst they weren't very good parents in a sense as, as such, they, they are dealing with dreadful upheavals and life and death things. So I think they do the best that they can. You mm. know, it may not have been the greatest, but I don't think parents really set out to harm their children. And all yeah. in all, I think mm-hmm. we were very, very lucky to have escaped mm-hmm. all of this. Well, I, I wanted to sort of really see what has remained of that culture in you that you feel positive about. Is there anything like that that you identify mm-hmm. with? Is there anything that you identify with that as a positive part of your personality? I think I I recognize the warmth, the hospitality, the philosophic nature of Persian people, which I, mm-hmm. I do retain as this part of me. There's always mm-hmm. a, a slight reticence, which I think is also a Persian quality. And uh, can I put it? It's a, it's a sort of a philosophic outlook and mm-hmm. the generosity of spirit. I think when you see how old the culture is, and the the knowledge and the the art that came out of it and that's what i miss so mm-hmm. uh, i miss that i miss mm-hmm. the 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 warmth of the people i miss the the food i miss the philosophical outlook there's i, mm-hmm. I think less superficial i i enjoy the art i have a sense of geometry which i've always mm-hmm. been interested in and i mm-hmm. think that's mm-hmm. a subliminal perhaps an inheritance from that. But I, mm-hmm, I, I mm-hmm. definitely have a very much a, a philosophic outlook. So it's this, it's this balancing act, which yeah. I think we all have to uh, deal with. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Very interesting. So does it, does it affect your art? Do you use any imagery or anything from that culture in your art? Um, not directly. I don't think... I have any paintings that you could actually say are strictly using any kind of Persian or Oriental or iconography. But if you look a little bit more carefully, you'll find that there's a a huge underlying of architectural structure, which is again to do with geometry underneath it. Mm -hmm. The mood of it, I think you could say perhaps is a bit more Persian. It's very reflective. It's very reticent. It's not imposing. It's, it's not obvious. It's very subtle. And I hope it has a sense of beauty and mystery about it. And I think that's a very Persian thing too. So mm-hmm. as an observer, virtually everything you say or do or your behavior or your habit is an indication of your complete background. 
So in that sense, everything, every piece of work that you do, whether it's writing or music or anything else, is, is obviously, to some extent, an autobiography uh, of mm-hmm. the author. Mm-hmm. So uh, great art, the artist is always present, but they're always in the background. Right. So we can always see some elements of Persia in the background somewhere. Uh, there will be. It will be qualities yeah. and nuances, okay. perfumes. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Atmosphere, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Okay. Where do you see yourself in the future? Will you stay in UK? Do you call Britain your home? Tell me a bit about that. Britain has been my home and uh, sanctuary, so there's no doubt about that. I have not only acclimatized, I actually know what the English mentality is. I know how generally the English psyche thinks. So in that sense, I've completely acclimatized. I've always thought home is not a place out there so much, especially for me, because I've never really had a home until, in a sense, recently, in the sense that I've uh, settled and we've got a house now and I'm in a wonderful relationship. But home, for me, is always internal rather than external. Mm -hmm. So it's curious that in all the places that I've lived, I've never felt that it's ever been a home until Mm -hmm. perhaps this time in Bath. And I've been here for about 18 years now. So this is the first time that I've ever felt that it actually feels like a home. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's a curious thing. Mm -hmm. But generally, I also know the the transience of all things. And you've got to have that sense of home inside you. And I think it's also important when you talk to people who've actually been in different cultures and perhaps transposed, you may find that it leaves a huge hole. And they're constantly, Mm -hmm. for the rest of their life, trying to fill this void in some way. But Mm -hmm. luckily, I don't think, if you don't externalize it, that it's, you don't, I I don't have that hole that I feel I have to uh, fill up all the time. So home is actually here rather Mm -hmm. than Mm -hmm. somewhere else. Many people, as you say, look for a place, a home, mm. for a long time in their life. They never find it, maybe. No. So it's wonderful to, to hear that you, you have that. And I suppose my final question is, what lessons would you have for people who come from other cultures to settle in another culture? What, what lessons and advice would you give to them? Try not to be too inflexible. Don't be too intransigent. Don't, by attempting to think that you're actually keeping your own idiosyncrasies and your habits that you've had and looking at everything else that's not that as something more inferior. So it's a bit like as soon as you separate yourself with your culture and your uh, Uh, language or your uh, climate, you're actually separating yourself. So I think one of the things is openness, is curiosity. Mm -hmm. And I'm amazed actually how little curiosity people have. As Mm -hmm. an artist, you're basically asking questions all the time, not just Mm -hmm. in work, but you are generally curious about everything. 
And I think that's something everybody needs to cultivate, is mm-hmm. this general curiosity. And curiosity is not just an idle whim. It really mm-hmm. is an indication of how you care for something. Mm-hmm. And the more you care for something, uh, the more curious and the more questioning you become for understanding. Mm-hmm. And especially as the world as it is now and things being as they are, uh, I think it's even more important not to alienate, not to see others as separate from you. And mm-hmm. that actually, in my experience, suffering has the same face wherever I've seen it. People are the same. They're much mm-hmm. more the same than they are different. And the differences are actually very superficial. Mm-hmm. So it's just to do with climate or just the, 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 the vagaries of having been born in a different place. But actually, mm-hmm. everybody is fundamentally the same. We're still yeah. like children. So yes. that's what I've learned from being in different cultures in a way, is that mm-hmm. we've just got to grow up. So mm-hmm. in that sense, I think I've been very, very lucky because it gives you perspective. Yeah. And, and as a result, I think it gives you many more bridges to mm-hmm. other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, mm, yeah. So embrace differences yeah, absolutely. In, in many ways. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your story. I've known you for so many years, but never really had this insight that you've just given me. I really enjoyed listening to your very personal story and how life developed for you. I can see that your journey has been extremely painful. I'm so happy that you feel so much at home where you are now and that you are such a brilliant and wonderful artist. I will now be looking at your art with a different layer. Well, I'm very privileged to have been asked. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. This was Two Worlds, One Me. Thank you so much for listening. Do let me know if you would like to talk about your worlds and share your story. The email is hello at twoworlds.oneme.cafe. You can also see all the details in the show notes. Come back next time. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And tell your friends. Bye.